Welcome to the Conscious Leadership Podcast, where soulful entrepreneurship and holistic mind-body wellness meet to help you heal, discover your soul's purpose, and change the world. I'm your host, Gabby Ortega, entrepreneur, psychology expert, social media maven, and soulful leadership coach. And it's my mission to empower you into becoming the light leader you're meant to be. Each episode will be diving deep into topics that will help you gain personal mastery over your healing and mind-body wellness, while also giving you practical tips and tools to help you create, market, and scale a heart-centered business around your soul's purpose and life mission. Whether you're in the beginning of your self-awakening journey or a seasoned inner work god or goddess who's ready to step into their leadership as a soulpreneur, this is going to be your new favorite place to be. We know that you don't just want to feel happier and more fulfilled, but you want to deeply know yourself and powerfully step into your life's purpose while creating massive abundance around your mission. That's why I've created this podcast for you, the light leader of the next generation. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. All right, guys, I am so, so, so excited today to be talking to Alexa Brand. She is a self-compassion and empowerment coach, a therapist. She's also an adjunct professor at the California Lutheran University. Um, She is a queer woman. Her pronouns are she and hers, and she is also one of my dear friends. Uh, She specializes in self-compassion and intersectional approaches to healing, and she likes to focus in her healing work on family and social systems. And today, I am so, so excited. We're going to be talking all about internalized oppression and social systems. We're going to be talking about how to challenge uh, these uh, beliefs with self-compassion and how we can start changing the narrative to more empower us to live really, really fulfilled, happy lives. So welcome, Alexa. Thank you so much, Gabby. I'm so honored and excited to be here and to be talking with you. You have always just been such an inspiration to me. So I'm just so grateful to be here and to be talking about such an important topic. Yes, I am so excited that, you know, first of all, this platform, I really want it to be the kind of place that we have these kinds of conversations, because they are so important at getting to the root of, I think, so many things that are happening um, that are dysfunctional today in society. And so kind of taking away the veil around what is internalized oppression is so important because it goes along with the subconscious programming and the unconscious belief systems that we hold that drive our behavior, drive the way we see things. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited to talk about this. Um, Before we dive in, though, I really like to kind of introduce you to everybody since, you know, I know you and I love you, but not everybody knows you. So um, take us through your journey and... Uh, what brings you to be doing what you're doing now? Oh, God, there's so much to say. (laughs) But um, definitely... I am, this is so much a piece of myself in terms of this work is just so much a part of myself because it's really all of the different things across my life that have brought me here, as do many healers, right? Like we have these different experiences and they bring us to this amazing position of being able to help others. Um, So really for me, I grew up like extremely quiet, extremely unsure of who I was, like really lived for other people. And um, in college, I started like to find more of my voice, but I also went through some really rough things like an eating disorder, emotionally abusive relationships, sexual assault, things like that. And so 
I reached out for help and I went to personal therapy myself and it was life-changing for me. Um, I found so much healing and I also started to find my voice and who I was and just really started to love myself, which was such a hard process. It's not an easy process, but (laughs) I think it's one of the hardest things in the world that you can do is learn how to love yourself, really. Yeah. 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 And so then I, I through learning like my, uh, mindfulness and meditation, I, come to, I came to find this amazing field of mindful self-compassion. And I was like, whoa, this is me. This is what I needed. This is what changed my life. Like it was, it was a big deal for me. And so as I've grown into my career as a professional, as a therapist, I've just really latched on to self-compassion and how we can foster that. I also just really under understand like that there are so many different components that go into who we are. In particular, our family and social systems play such a huge role in that. And to me, um, intersectional feminism is like extremely important to me. I used to write and edit for an intersectional um, feminist website called Audios Barbie, Amazing. and so. <laughs> Yeah, and so that is so badass. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was like how can I combine all of these elements to make like a coaching program where I can take these components and really help people meet their goals just by learning to be self-compassionate and learning to um, find their own authentic voice and understand like these negative messages that get internalized in us and how we can confront these messages and really just build our authentic being and we find so much more success when we do that. Oh my God, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing, um, you know, so much of your story. I think it's really important that everybody understands, you know, it's going through these really dark um, and sometimes painful experiences that, uh, you know, our inner transformation, our awakening is birthed and we're kind of forced to, at least for me, I don't know about you, uh, you know, really look in the mirror and say, I need to develop some self-love. Otherwise I'm going to feel like crap for like ever. Yes, it is so important. And I think we're just not taught how to do that growing up. And I think too, a piece of it is this individualistic society that we live in that always wants more and more and more from us and teaches us to be self-critical when really that self-compassion and that self-love coming in is what makes that big difference in our lives. Oh, absolutely. Um, Oh, totally. totally. I love this. So before we dive into internalized oppression, I just want to give our listeners kind of a a little bit of a context or framework around these words. So we talk about mindful, mindfulness, mindful self-compassion. What is this? (laughs) Like what exactly is mindful self-compassion? Mm-hmm. That's such a great question. So with mindfulness, we're talking about being present in the moment without judgment. Sounds easy, but isn't always easy to do. Um, so we're bringing in that component of mindfulness. So being present without judgment, and then we're combining it with self-compassion. And when we talk about self-compassion, what we're looking at is we're looking at being understanding towards ourselves and also offering ourselves kindness. So kindness and understanding are two of the biggest pieces of um, self-compassion. We also understand that there is a common humanity and that everyone suffers and experiences pain. So knowing that we're not alone in it, that um, there are other people there who understand our experience and that in itself can just be so healing. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's really funny because I, my mom is a psychologist and she has always taught me about um, psycho- psychological concepts growing up and but the one thing that we never talked about was self-compassion, literally mm-hmm. never. And, and I don't think that was part of her training either, um, you know, because back in the, you know, when she got her degree, 
Um, but I love that this is something we're talking about now. And it wasn't until I had like my fourth therapist <laughs> and I was in my twenties that she goes, do you like talk to yourself the same way you talk to the people that you love? And I was like, no, <laughs> she's like, why? I'm like, well, uh, that, uh, like, I don't, I don't really know, <laughs> should I be saying, treating myself the same yeah. way as the people I love? And it really shook me because mm-hmm. I had this track going on in my head from my own trauma that was kind of still unhealed at the time, just being like saying terrible, terrible things about myself, not having any permission to do anything, not, you know, being able to make mistakes without jumping down my own throat and things like that. And that was just kind of normal for me. I was like, oh, this must be how like everybody feels. Um, And it wasn't until my therapist was like, no, like, is that what you would say to like, I don't know if your mom or your sibling or your, you know, someone you, your friend was going through this, would you tell them that they're a worthless piece of crap? Mm -hmm. And I was like, probably not, like, probably not. So Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That totally resonates with me too. I had a similar experience where my therapist was like, do you notice that you judge yourself a lot? And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then that whole next week between my therapy sessions, I realized I judge myself all the time mm-hmm. on a cons- consistent basis. <laughs> and like, it, it's so out of our realm of understanding because it's so normalized for us. Like we just don't think it's, there's anything different than being that way. And then having that realization can be really powerful and it can bring grief too. this, like, this grief of like, wow, like I've been so hard on myself and that's so sad oh, yeah I know what that feeling is like I, I definitely went through a grieving process I was really surprised by that feeling I did mm-hmm. not expect to feel that mm-hmm. and when it popped up I just had so much and I think that that allowed me to deepen my compassion for myself to go through that grieving and, and to really see um, the pain that I was in and mm-hmm. kind of acknowledge it and hold that space for myself was like, whoa, yeah. like a whole different kind of experience. And now I, now I literally cannot operate outside of self-compassion. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And I never, 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 ever imagined I would reach a day where I literally, literally have zero self-critical thoughts. And if mm-hmm. I do, I'm pretty quick to be able to, you know, like nab it, but that, that change is yeah. entirely possible. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a practice, right? So it takes time and it's a challenge and it's not always easy. But the awesome thing about it is the more you practice it, you're rewiring your brain, you're strengthening those brain pathways, and then it becomes so much easier and so much stronger. And then you see how beautiful it is. And then, yeah, you notice that those self-critical thoughts really decrease or you're able just to manage them so much better in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move into, I guess, you know, talking about internalized oppression and social systems, what's going on there, and um, why we might need self-compassion when it comes to healing some wounds that come from the conditioning um, rooted in oppression. Yeah, definitely. So um, I have worked a lot with the LGBTQ plus population. Um, As you mentioned, I'm queer myself. Um, So for me, a huge piece of what that work has been like and being affirming is working through these internalized messages that um, are 
obviously internalized within us. And we need to kind of navigate, like recognizing that these narratives or these messages that we have that are harmful or shameful, they really come from outside sources. So it all starts with that. And you know what? That even starts from even before we're born, there are expectations of who we are um, mm. based off of our identity. Yes. So, oh mm. my God. I, I can't, And I mean, I don't mean to jump in here, but like I gender reveal parties. I mean, I feel like that's yeah. one of the ways and I'm like, you're already assigning a, a mm-hmm. set of values to this unborn being, you know, not that exactly. everybody does their own thing. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here, you know, do your own thing for sure. Um, but I, it definitely um, is, is kind of what I've learned from my master's program and from my experience with um, learning about inter- oppression and social systems and justice is that, yeah, when we pre-assign values on an unborn child those that kind of expectation is spoken and unspoken throughout their you know being throughout their childhood and so yeah they become they become what you want them to be Exactly, exactly. There's these expectations that are put there, these uh, um, expectations that our parents or society have of us because of who we are, because of our gender, because of our ethnicity, our race, our skin color, our ability, our language. There's so many different identities, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And all of those, even before we are born, place some sort of expectations on us. And so, it's kind of scary to think about that, right? Like there's no control in terms of knowing that there are those expectations out there. Um, but the piece is obviously that we can start to recognize those and start to shift them. Um, so as a part of my work in, in really understanding different identities, also understanding intersectionality. So how different identities lead to different levels of oppression and how, um, privilege and power works differently depending on those different um, identities and how they intersect. Um, So really understanding, okay, basically based off of who you are before you were born, there was expectations. And then once you are born, there's even more expectations placed on you because of your identity. Um, I know like for myself, like being a woman, (laughs) there's certainly so many expectations that are placed on women of like what they are supposed to be in life. And I know Mm -hmm. every single woman out there has experienced a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like with regards to like body image, I know for me for so long, um, I was always told that I was overweight growing up, um, that I needed to lose weight. I, I got messages from my family. I got messages from society. I got messages from my doctor. So the medical field um, telling me I need to lose weight. I need to lose mm. weight. And looking back at it now, I'm just so, it, it frustrates me because I'm like, you know, I was totally healthy and there was really, I I was, yes, I was technically overweight, but it really wasn't anything significant. Even if it was, there shouldn't be that shame or um, the shame placed on the person for looking a certain way. Um, And that really impacted my self-worth. And I'm wondering, did you have like similar experiences of that? Oh my God, absolutely. So I was like, well, first of all, of course, like on top of like the kind of traditional things that I feel like women are culturally expected to be or not to be, mm-hmm. um, meaning, you know, I was always, I'm very talkative. I'm very, mm-hmm. um, you know, not, I don't want to like sound like I'm like tooting my own horn, but like I am very intelligent. I love mm-hmm. learning. I love reading. Um, I love speaking out and having a voice and, and being a part of the conversation. And I've always been this way. Uh, and it's very, I, I guess, masculine trait or something mm. that's associated with men and leaders and 
you know, now I, now it's like literally everything I do. <laughs> but back when I was younger, I was told, you know, be quiet, like let the boys talk or, mm-hmm. you know, like, why don't you go over here and learn the arts? And I was like, well, I want to be, I actually wanted to be a paleontologist wow. um, when I was in first grade. And then I wanted to be an astronaut. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a reptile birthday party where we went to the natural museum and I had my whole class over and we played with reptiles. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. I was so not like the traditional girl, but I was very much like shamed by my peers for it. I was mm-hmm. very much like nobody got me. Um, and so, yeah, there was pain associated with stepping outside of that and really being myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've totally experienced that. And I definitely, I was on diets since like, oh my God, sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, you know, always being told that my body, especially as like kind of a, a curvy Cuban girl, you know, I'm very white passing definitely. But when it comes to my body, absolutely. It's curvy. It's, it's definitely to me Latin in every way in the best mm-hmm. ways now that I like so appreciate my body for what it is. Um, but I was also surrounded by very, very like um, um, European white people. So mm-hmm. we, I looked very different, you know, my body, my body type. So yeah, I can totally relate to that. I definitely have a lot of shame and still am working through body shame. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a better handle on it now, but my God, the, the, like the amount of messaging and programming I've received only recently is kind of, um, like I've kind of been awakened to seeing all of it in its extent. And it's like, wow, textbooks and news and media and visual images and even music lyrics and, you know, our parents and then how they were raised. I mean, it's just like, it's everywhere. And so, yeah, I, in long story short, I've definitely had <laughs> like experiences <laughs> for sure where I, I think there's a box that we're supposed to be put in, but now we're realizing, oh, there there is no box. There's a giant box and we all belong here and we're all different, but there's no like individual box for you, you know? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it, it's, it's really, it's just so interesting how these messages, even unconsciously, right? So we're not necessarily choosing to internalize these messages, but because we're exposed to them, and especially if they're repeatedly exposed to us, they, they become more and more internalized in us, and they can show up in ways that are unexpected. And I think that there are certain, like in particular when I've worked with LGBTQ clients, there is a lot of unconscious, um, either uh, homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, things like that, that show up. And it's not even really in their awareness until I put a label to it. And I think that it's just so helpful to just simply be able to put a label to it and also to separate that from yourself. Like this isn't actually who I am. This is the message that I receive about being um, LGBTQ or whatever their identity is um, in terms of like really not knowing that authentic piece of yourself (laughs) until you're actually separating yourself from those negative messages that have been internalized. Mm. And so how do these negative messages, if we were to try and pick apart what are, where, where can I, where's my internalized oppression happening? How do we start to begin to maybe notice or how do we figure out where, like when it's coming up for us? Yeah. So this is, this is a great question. I think 
as with anything, the first piece is awareness. So starting to notice your self-critical thoughts, um, your self-talk, those negative narratives that you have about about yourself. So if you tell yourself like, oh, I'm unintelligent or oh, I'm lazy or oh, things like that, those kind of reoccurring um, negative or shameful narratives that we hold for ourselves. So the first step is just like acknowledging when those are showing up in your life, noticing that inner critic, noticing that self-talk, and then analyzing it. Like literally asking yourself, when was the first time I felt like this? And what was happening was, where was the source of this message coming from? Because it didn't come from within you. It came from what people either were telling us, the way they were treating us, um, Mm -hmm. and the responses that we received from when we were our authentic self. So their responses to how we behaved, how we expressed ourselves, things like that. All of those play a part in recognizing where these messages are coming from. And sometimes it's not even like overtly stated, right? So for example, when I think about growing up, um, and being queer, like no one ever directly said to me, um, and I didn't come out until my 20s, so I, I want to preface that, but no one like specifically was saying directly to me like, oh, if you were um, queer, if you were bisexual or whatever, then you aren't worthy or that doesn't exist or things like that. But I did hear messages in the media and I did hear at times like family members speak about things like, oh, how can bisexuality actually exist or things like Mm -hmm. that, that really became internalized in me and became like a part of how, even though I logically was always accepting of LGBTQ people and that was always just like I was always just like, yes, like people should love who they should be willing to love and all of that sort of stuff. But really realizing that deep down in me that I wasn't accepting of the fact that I did have attraction to women and that I had dated, um, you know, men, males growing up. And so it really did impact the way I viewed my sexuality. I was afraid to come out and I felt like, you know, will my family accept me? I had an idea that they would and they did. Um, But thinking like, how are people going to judge me? Are they going to be like, oh, because you've only dated men, like how could you say you're queer, bisexual, or pansexual? Um, Because I identify as all three of those. So yeah, yeah, it's just like insane how like it can even be the smallest things. It could literally be something that someone, like a random person on the street says to you one day, but that just struck you so hard and made you feel such shame that it internalizes in you and becomes a part of your narrative. Mm. So just recognizing that piece being able to identify where that message came from and likely it's come from a lot of different places um, but being able to identify where that came from and then using my big piece and what I teach my clients about is using self-compassionate reframing so really being able to identify okay so now I know this message is isn't really me or what I believe, but is external from me. Okay, now how can I reframe the situation to one of self-compassion and self-love? So that's understanding, okay, so I am not 
unworthy because I am queer. I am feeling these feelings of unworthiness because they were taught to me through my life experience, through these different messages that came up. And because I am queer, that makes me a really unique individual in terms of stepping outside of the traditional norms. And that actually makes me really beautiful because I don't have to fall into line with what every, uh, that kind of like heterosexual, heteronormative culture or whatever it may be. Um, And understanding like that is a beautiful piece of me and that doesn't make me a bad person. I'm not causing anyone harm by doing this. So like I am fully worthy of loving this piece of me and knowing that it is a valid piece of me. Mm. Oh my God. Yes. I love that so much. (laughs) And it's, it's so true. We get the power to rewrite these belief systems. Mm -hmm. I don't want you, if you're listening to this to be, I know you're probably thinking like the resistance is coming up. It's like, Oh yeah. Right. We can't just like, we can't just like create a new belief system. (laughs) These are the way it is. This is the way it's always been. This is the way it's always going to be. And um, I promise you if that's not the truth and you, and if you choose to buy into that, that's your decision. Um, But that if you choose, choose to try something new uh let's there's no real room for shame when we bring self-compassion into the picture and I think Brene Brown spoke to that specifically I was reading her book Daring Greatly again and I think that's where she talked about it and that she says like the way the fastest way to eradicate shame is to bring in compassion Mm -hmm. and um and I found that to be so true I don't know about you but for myself for sure for my clients um And so, yeah, this is such an important conversation. So another thing I guess I want to ask is, you know, what, what other forms of internalized oppression exist? How do, you know, I think we, um, there's a lot of people who don't even know what, um, you know, internalized oppression even is, or like, you know, let's, what are the, so what are some basics that you can share to help people really get a framework around what is, what is this kind of concept where, and like, what does it include and how we already kind of see now, how can we recognize it in ourselves, but how can we also start to keep a lookout around us for, um, moments that are, you know, going to reinforce these things so we can stay away from them or yeah. events or people or things like that, you know? Yeah. So I would say probably a big piece of it is start thinking about your own identities. So those different intersectional identities that you may have. Um, And then looking at, okay, how are these identities oppressed in society? So what are the common ways that you see um, people oppressed? So um, obviously, with people of color, with black people, with um, indigenous people, there's been a lot of oppression placed on them. And that um, truly those, there's so many different areas that this oppression occurs in, right? Like it is, it bleeds into every aspect of one's life. And so understanding like, okay, okay, so am I, for example, if you have a job interview, are you asking yourself like, okay, how can I make myself appear more white, acceptable, um, the white mm-hmm. norms, etc.? cetera? Um, I've certainly heard, you know, black women talk about their experiences of having to, um, you know, straighten their hair, things like that, so yeah. that they yeah. are more likely to get the job or things like that. Um, so start thinking about the different areas in which oppression has shown 
shown up in your life and then think about how that impacts your self-view. So do you start to believe the fact that, oh, I would be prettier if I had lighter skin or, mm -hmm. oh, I would be um, more attractive if, if I were thin or, you know, wanting to change those pieces of yourself that come from that certain identity. Um, and this mm -hmm. is really common, especially for people who have um, parents who are immigrants or come from um, different cultures and different backgrounds because uh, the parents might be fully immersed in their traditional culture, the culture that they come from, whereas the child is growing up in an American society and trying to navigate the differences between um, their culture from what their parents are saying and American culture. And a lot of times this causes dissonance, right? This conflict between knowing yeah. who you are and loving those pieces, but then also not loving those pieces because not it, feeling like it's not American enough or those norms or ideals. Right. And these might mm -hmm. not, you might not specifically be saying like, Oh, I'm not American enough or I'm not light skin enough or things like that, but it's noticing those judgments as they show up in your life. So looking at a picture of yourself and saying like, Oh, my skin looks too dark there. Oh, I wish I had lighter skin or lighter eyes or things like that. Um, it's taking a look at how are you modifying yourself to try and fit into the norm? How are you um, holding other people to the way you view other people within your community? Are you feeling embarrassed about other people within your community? Because um, that is also a sign of internalized oppression. Mm, um, yeah. For example, I had someone recently was telling me about how they have a, a coworker who's gay who said that they hate pride and that pride gives um, gay people a bad name or whatever. And to me, that automatically sounded like internalized oppression because yeah. Yeah. You, can, you can choose not to obviously um, – maybe dress in a certain way or celebrate in a certain way because that's just not who you are. But to say it gives a bad name to the rest of society um, does show that there's some oppression there, right? Like we should be fully accepting of how all people want to um, express themselves as long as they're not harming anyone, right? Like absolutely. Yeah. And I think and this brought up something that I wanted to mention before that I forgot about, which is that the other the other side of internalized oppression is like a rage. Mm -hmm. And um, something that I remember growing up around was a lot of like hatred towards the gay community from big tough New Yorker men. I grew up on the East Coast and a lot of like you know, fag and, you know, horrible slang and, and really just oppressive language and viewpoints and abusive stuff. And um, it never sat well with me. And then like most of those people who actually were like that as kids ended up coming out mm -hmm. um, later on. And I, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And so I, I like, can you speak to any of that? And kind of like, sometimes that kind of projected, there's a projected rage on a community, but really you're, you're self identified within that community. And it's more a projection of how you feel about yourself or, or maybe I'm getting it wrong. But but yeah, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think there's <laughs> certainly cases where that shows up. Definitely. I mean, and it, it, it makes sense, right? Like, these populations are so oppressed that they feel like they have to be the complete opposite in order to be accepted. They're so ashamed of who they are that they then do the opposite action of what they want to do. And um, yeah, it causes a lot of harm, not only to other people, but also to themselves because they're really not accepting of who they are. And I think the biggest piece is 
in our society is starting to have like more conversations about this, having it open, talking to our children about these things, because we are not going to create shame. We're not going to show people that they're accepted unless we're talking about these things. And the more that we create environments that are accepting, that show love and acceptance of one's authentic self, the more we're going to see people not go that route, <laughs> not go that self-hate route and that harmful route, but also, but take a more loving, accepting approach of who their authentic self is because that's really what's going to create positive change in the world. Mm, yes, yes, so much, like, so much yes. Um, and, yeah, and I do truly think that, like, when we can get to a point where we can learn self-compassion really young, we can step into our full power as our true self a lot earlier on. And from there, um, you know, we grow into citizens of the world who act completely differently than ones who maybe aren't as self-compassionate um, and are in that anger, self-loathing state, and maybe taking things out on other people or themselves. And um, and it's so healing. It's just this, it's, it seems like it's such a small thing to be compassionate towards yourself. And meanwhile, it can have these rever reverberating effects of essentially like breaking down systems that have been in place for like hundreds of years, if not yes. thousands of years, you know, culturally. Yes. And at, this is, brings up something I wanted to highlight too, which is the fact that these internalized oppression, this internalized shame that comes up in us causes us so many limitations. So many. We so don't, many. Yeah, we don't come into our full being, our self-actualized being, unless we understand who we really are without all the BS that shows up with these internalized messages, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so understanding that we are putting placing limitations on ourselves by believing these um, internalized messages, and I don't want that to be shameful in itself. Like, it's only natural that we started to believe these messages, and there's no shame at all to anyone who experiences this, because we all do, right? But... Um, but it's understanding like, okay, this is limiting us. Like we, I know for me that once I was able to really identify these messages coming from external sources and then realizing like my authentic being and just loving who I am. And the more I came into who I was, the more I found people who just really love me for who I am and who align with me. And that's just so beautiful too, because that just offers so much more room for that feeling of security and growth and like, um, not to get into like attachment theory, but like having a <laughs> I secure love base. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> but like having that secure base of like knowing like your own security and being your own secure base too. Like it's it's really cool, really powerful. And then Amazing. we have the freedom to like really make moves in our lives that align with our authentic selves. And then we're gonna find more success in our lives too. Oh my God, I love it. And so you can really see the kind of like reverberating effects that this kind of work has for you, for everyone around you, for then the world and the larger humanity at, at large. And mm -hmm. oh man, it's it's really, really powerful. And I'm so glad that um, that you're here and that you're doing the work that you do specifically as a self-compassion and empowerment coach. Um, and so this is, this is a really great conversation. Thank you so much for having this um, with me. Is there anything that, you know, as we're leaving our guests with, you know, all of this information, it's pretty heavy. Is there anything that we can do to take care of ourselves using self-compassion? Are there any tools that you might want to give us that as we start to kind of 
peeled back these layers of our identities and and guys identities are like really anything um that you feel like you're a part of that community i danced ballet for 18 years i felt like i had a ballet identity i had that community identity i had the female identity i have um you know my identity as a um cuban uh, person of, of Cuban immigrant, descendant of Cuban immigrants. And, you know, like I have an identity as, you know, a, a scholar. And so there's all these different things. And it's not just exclusive to race or gender or sexuality, um, but also incorporates co like culturally, like all of the things you love to do that make you, you, um, and so look at like, yeah, after we're done looking at these areas of like what identities we um, subscribe to or belong to, and we see kind of where we might be experiencing some oppression that we've internalized, what are, I know you said challenge some, challenge the thoughts, like, is there anything else that we can do to show ourselves some self-compassion to start working through that? Yes, there are so many different ways we can show ourselves self-compassion. Um, yes, so beyond doing those self-compassionate um, reframes, I think that a really important um, step is starting to um, doing acts of self-compassion as well. So when you're having um, a moment where you're finding shame or self-criticism in your life, what you can do um, in addition to doing the reframing is asking yourself then in the moment, how can I take care of myself right now? How can I show myself love right now? And then bringing in those pieces or those actions, those um, healthy, empowering, healing, coping skills that we have to really offer ourselves a moment of kindness and a moment of care, right? The more we foster that sense of care for ourselves too, that is self-compassion, right? We're bringing in that understanding, then we're bringing in the kindness, and then we're translating that into actual action steps that we can take. So that can look like many different things for different people. So like I know for me, I know that means maybe doing a face mask or taking a shower or going yeah. on a walk or meditating or whatever it may be. And that looks different for everyone, right? Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's the self-care practices. Um, you know, and for me, I definitely know that self-compassion, I practice a lot of self-forgiveness um, for me, I was like, as a perfectionist, I call myself like a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> right? <laughs> Where like that inner critic is like, you're not perfect. So like, you're the worst, um, or you're mm -hmm. failing at life. And so for me, it's a lot of permission and forgiveness, mm -hmm. um, permission to be human and that it's okay if like I mess yeah. up sometimes and it's okay. Um, you know, if I'm not perfect and, um, and you know, this idea that you can still show up for yourself. Mm -hmm. regardless mm -hmm. um and forgive yourself for just you know being human it's okay yeah and I do want to emphasize what you said earlier which is there may be times where it feels inauthentic like to say these things to yourself and yeah. I just want to say that's normal at first but the more and more you practice it truly you start to believe it because you're rewiring your brain as you're repeating these things so it does become so much more believable just keep practicing and keep showing yourself that love and eventually you're, you're going to start to really see the benefits of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting too, a good point that I want to make really quickly that someone brought up to me the other day is that um, we can't, uh, you know, do these self-compassion practices only when we're activated. So like when you get up in the morning and you're feeling really peaceful and calm, say a couple of loving things to yourself, you know, have some affirmations or mantras that you write down and put on your mirror. And when you're facing the mirror, say, I love you. 
you're doing great. It's okay. You're doing enough. You know, you, you can rest. Um, whatever it is that you need to give yourself permission for or you need to hear, um, give it to yourself when you're relaxed, when you're um, in a good space. Because then when you do run into a situation where you're 10 minutes late for something or you're, um, you know, you didn't do the assignment or write or, you know, whatever it is, um, that you can call in those same feelings that you cultivated when you were feeling more centered and grounded. And then it kind of can bring you back down and to reality, which is that the world is not going to burn down if you are a human being and make a mistake. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad you brought up that that you don't have to use self-compassion only when you feel bad. You should be practicing it all the time and it is even more helpful. And I hate that I said should just then because that sounds judgmental. So I know I, I always catch out. myself with the should, so I'm trying to get the should out of my vocabulary. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is very hard. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's an act of self-compassion right there, noticing your language and how you talk to yourself. And yeah, so it's not that we should be. It's that it is an act of kindness to practice self-compassion, even if you're feeling good, even if you know you're having a good day. Like self-compassion is good to bring in at any point of your day. Oh my God. And I think it fosters so much resiliency. Um, I know for me, it's created such a magical energetic buffer between me and like everything else. Mm -hmm. So like for the most part, very little um, actually upsets me or like bothers me because if I'm showing myself compassion, I also am then able to show other people so much more compassion. You know, someone the other day, like kind of cut me off in the parking lot. And I think like maybe a year or two ago, I may have been more like in a place where I would have been like, oh, that piece of shit. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, I hope that person has a terrible day or something, you know? And now I'm just like, oh, I hope they're okay. Like, I wonder, you know, I wonder if they're just sick and they're getting something, you know, water, or they're getting something for themselves or something bad is happening, mm -hmm. you know? So like I have a different, much different perspective and it's so funny now my automatic thought that comes up is not from a place of like criticism it's from a place of like compassion yeah yeah and I'm so glad you brought that in too because self-compassion isn't selfish. And in fact, it offers us more opportunity to be kind and compassionate to others. And on top of that, self-compassion is an act of resistance against, against our oppressive societies. Hell so, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it is a, such a powerful tool. It is not selfish. It is basically there to help us and to help others and to just, you know, again, create a better world. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to really, um, make an impact in breaking the chains of these systems it starts with you loving yourself so mm -hmm. much so that you radiate that love and other people want that too and they go after it themselves and then suddenly it's a chain reaction and that you're no longer subscribing to these belief systems that come from places of oppression but rather that come from places of self-compassion um, self-trust and acknowledging that you, you're unique and that you, there are no, so there's no subscription to any belief systems that are going to be uniquely for you. You have to create them for yourself, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, yeah, I think that this, this is just the future and I'm hoping everyone can embrace it because yes! it's just such a beautiful future. <laughs> Guys, self-compassion seriously changed my life um it saved my life i think in many ways especially when i was super depressed yeah you too mm -hmm. yeah, yeah definitely 
Yeah. So, so really like you guys like explore this, this kind of stuff, explore tools around self-compassion. Um, and of course, uh, check out Alexa. Um, we will, we're going to wrap up our conversation now, but I want you guys to know where we can find you. Um, how can we connect with you? Um, where can they find resources on all this stuff? Um, you know, give us all the details. Yes. So, okay. So if you're interested in learning more about what I do, you can visit my website at www.soulcompassion.com compassion.com that is s-o-u-l-c-o-m-p-a-s-s-i-o-n.com and there you can find out about my self-compassion and empowerment coaching services um, additionally you can find me on instagram at soul compassion wellness and i offer she does the best posts you guys go friggin go check her out follow her immediately she is incredible i repost her stuff all the time it's so good <laughs> oh thank you gabby yeah, I love making the content. I love just being able to share with everyone about self-compassion. So if you want your daily dose of self-compassion, certainly follow me on Instagram. Um, I do have a free resource that you can get through um, my Instagram account, uh, through the link there, or on my website as well. Um, I highly recommend you check that out. It's like a mini workbook. It's called the Recovering Perfectionist Self-Compassion Workbook. So, what? What's in this workbook? Uh, that sounds amazing. Oh, it has a few different things. So it goes through... Like what we talked about today, so reframing um, those negative or those, sorry, those internalized oppressions. Um, it also goes through um, a little bit of goal work. Um, it has education on self-compassion. Mm. It has you reflect on... Um, Let's see. It has you reflect on some affirmations you can do for yourself. It has like such a range. Just like of everything. Oh my god! I want one of these. I'm gonna go download one right now. You guys run over and download this from her Instagram page. It is seriously such a great resource. It's free. Um, and Alexa is an absolutely incredible coach. I know this because we are dear friends. She's also part of um, the mastermind right now, and she's just been killing it, serving the best kind of content, helping thousands of people, um, and just radiating in her gifts and her life. And it's just been such a joy to watch you um, expand and influence and grow your healing mission. And I just feel so excited for anybody who's going to get to work with you. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, our friendship just means so much to me. And it's just so nice to be around other women who lift each other up and empower one another. And I know that I wouldn't be in the place that I am today without women like you in my life. So thank oh. you so much, Gabby. We lift each other up. Guys, if you're listening to this, lift each other up. Remember that compassion is for yourself. It's for everybody else. It helps heal the world. You can't lose if you practice a little compassion. And I promise it'll give you a little bit of a mood boost too. You'll feel really good. So thank you so much for being here, Alexa. And um, thank you guys so much for joining us for this conversation. Again, if you would like to find Alexa, she is on Instagram and we'll put her website information and her handle and all her good stuff in the uh, show notes below. So you guys can go connect with her and we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining me for another episode of the Conscious Leadership Podcast. I am so, so, so excited that you're here and that we are growing together. If there was anything that you took away from today's episode, I would love to hear about it. Take a screenshot, tag me with what you took away, and we will repost you. And if you are interested in leaving us a review on iTunes, we are going to give you a free copy of my Subconscious Reprogramming Workbook. It is an incredible workbook 
that helps you work through all of the deep programming that happened during childhood that might be holding you back in your life today. So super, super valuable. This is a $75 workbook. I'm willing to just send it to you for free because I would love to hear your feedback on iTunes reviews. So shoot us a review, take a screenshot and DM us with a screenshot of your review and we will send you a free copy. The Light Leader Community Calls are also up and running. I'm so excited to be providing a completely free space for all of you guys to come connect, learn, grow, and step into your light leadership. These calls are every other Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and I will be dropping the Zoom link in my emails for my email list. So if you are not already on the email list, head on over to my page at om underscore therapy underscore coaching on Instagram and click the link in my bio to sign up for the email list. You will be on the list for all of these community calls. You can pop in whenever you'd like, ask us questions, and we'll also be providing trainings to help you do all the deep inner work to step into your leadership and also the practical stuff to help you set up a business. It's going to be amazing. So come join us for that. The first call is going to be this Thursday, August 20th, and every other Thursday moving forward. And lastly, we have the OLA Ignite program. Yes, this is going to be launching its second round 2.0 coming up September 1st. So September 1st, we're opening the doors for enrollment and October 1st, we begin the next round. So I'm super excited. All of my light leaders who went through this round just found tremendous success, financial freedom, personal freedom, confidence, and they're just changing the world in such unique ways that are so aligned with who they are as human beings and as soul leaders that it's just amazing to watch it happen. And I'm just so excited to provide this container and support for you. There are going to be guest coaches, own specific co-coaches, me, a 12-week online course, group calls twice a month, one-to-one calls support, and it's just a constant, constant hype up. So come join us if you are a female light leader. I am calling on you to join our community. So we launch enrollment September 1st. Keep an eye out and we will keep you updated with all the latest. Thank you again for joining me. I am so happy to connect with you and keep coming back and letting your powerful light leader shine. We love you, we see you, we need you, and we honor you.